So the goal of this is to kind of debrief a little bit of the Jack Cruz podcast that we had released a few weeks back, uh, which was on all things EMFs, biological semiconduction, a whole lot of stuff that honestly, if I listened to it like eight months ago, I would have had no idea what was going on. So the idea here is to kind of parse out some of that stuff, uh, share my knowledge on EMFs, a little bit about biological semiconduction, and maybe have a, a Q&A at the end. So we got some questions already that people tweeted at us, which we'll answer. And then if anyone wants to stay on, we'll probably do a Q&A. Yeah, in like 45 to 60 minutes. So perfect. We'll, yeah, Ryan, what did you think of the podcast? Did you learn I, a lot? So yes, it was it was completely groundbreaking to me. If anyone here listened to the whole thing, you'll hear me speak two times for maybe twenty seconds in total. Um, and both times, I was very impressed that I was coherent because my brain was like literally like flipped on its head. What I what I, I, I hate to say that it was like one of the podcasts we've done that was like perfect all the way through because there was just so much good juice in there, and it was like it just flowed. But for me, the biggest uh, opening things weren't necessarily things that I learned that were new. It was more so clarification on the things that I already had a hunch about. So for me, um, it made me just feel good about things I had already implemented, like not living in LA (laughs) for one. Um, And I think for me, it was more about just bringing a bigger message across that this is probably the biggest threat that generally speaking, we face on in modern times for, for health. Cause if we think about food, we only eat maybe what three times a day, even for all those people that snack 20 times a day, you're still subjected to Wi-Fi 24 hours a day. No, not it's nonstop. So when it comes to non-native EMF, it's, it's, it's probably the most difficult thing to mitigate or dare I say, even remove. So first thing I guess I was going to ask you coming out of it, it's like, 5G is 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 sort of a big talking point, and then 6G is even scarier when we think about that in the future. Um, but what are the risks to our health? And we can sort of debrief, kind of unpack what we talked about with Jack, because we kind of got into uh, topology and various things that are a little more in-depth. Yeah, well, what you said is definitely true. I think people need to realize that this is probably the most pervasive environmental toxin, and there is no avoiding it, really. I mean, completely. It's impossible, right? So that's not really the goal. Uh, is perfection. The goal is to mitigate, you know, substantially. And people always say to me that that's like unrealistic, but there are actually very simple things you can do and very simple things we could have done in like home design, just the way we route our internet, you know, wired versus wireless Um, distance, obviously of, of using technology is tremendously important. So all these things, and we can get into a lot of that, but 5g is definitely a big topic. And I've been researching a ton about this, even since the podcast. And I think Jack definitely talked a lot about kind of the waveform. And we talked a little bit about things like jump conduction and higher frequency bands being really bad for, you know, oxygen um, in our biology. And these are all very true things. But 5G is definitely, it's a nuanced topic. And it's quite interesting because it's actually kind of been a dud from the technology perspective. So it's not really fully rolled out. It's actually not fully rolled out at all in the sense of the higher frequencies. So to give people an overview, 5G just means like fifth generation wireless technology. And 
the biggest differences between any wireless generation is speed and latency. So it's taking speed up, you know, another 10 to 100x, latency down another 10 to 20x. So that's really the biggest difference between all generations. And it's substantially improved from 4G LTE, which is the last generation before that. Um, so how are they doing that, right? Um, they obviously have to innovate on the engineering side of things in order to get faster speeds and lower latency times. So what they're doing is they are using different frequency bands, higher frequency bands. Um, they have changed uh, the way that they're sending the beam or the radio frequency wave. Uh, they're using a modality called beam forming, which we can get into that. And then they're- I would love yeah, that. Yeah, and then we're doing, they're also have, uh, updated and kind of modernized as well the towers the antenna arrays that they use so they use a technique called uh, massive or sorry multiple input multiple output antenna arrays which has been used in 4g in the past but now they're taking it to another level which is called massive multiple input multiple output literally that's what it's called massive MIMO or MIMO, depending on how you want to say the acronym. So, and there's a few other things like full duplexing, which is where you can send and receive the transmission signal. You can transmit and receive a signal at the same exact time. So there's a lot of innovation ongoing, but definitely the biggest one for 5G that most people know about is the fact that they're using millimeter waves, which is a higher frequency band um, millimeter referring to the wavelength, uh, which is smaller wavelength, which is higher frequency. So the frequency bands is kind of like 20 to 40, 50 gigahertz. And there's various bands within wow. there assigned uh, to the specific telecom carriers, such as Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile. And that's uh, about a 10x jump from what you know we've been using in... 4G LTE, things like Wi-Fi are at 2.4 gigahertz, 2.5 gigahertz, uh, and even standard calling a lot of times is at like 900 megahertz to 1 gigahertz. So jumping it up to 20, 30, 40 is a big deal. Um, however, I would like to preface, this is not really being used even today in 2024 yet because there are a lot of challenges. So getting into the challenges is the range on higher frequency waves is abysmal because it gets eaten up by atmospheric gases such as oxygen and water vapor, which again, think about oxygen and water and they are absorbing the electromagnetic wave in the higher frequency bands. We have oxygen, gas and water all throughout our biology. So there's a little teaser on why 5G might be bad for us. So the range is really <laughs> bad. Um, you know, some of the frequencies can only go, you know, like a kilometer. Um, so they're really only have use uh, in cities. But then this is why you see all these towers being built, the repeater towers, because they need massive amount of infrastructure in terms of towers to keep the signal going. And it's really a problem because that's the reason why they've had to engineer the waveform completely different. So the beamforming technology is basically stacking waves on top of each other to get a very powerful but narrow uh, angle of incidence. So instead of 4G, uh, which uses omnidirectional beams, which basically is 
spraying uh, 4G radio frequency waves, 360 degrees, like all around. Um, 5G is like a targeted beam at the receiver. So, and it's tracking you and it's following you around. So that's bad because it's much higher power because they're stacking the waves via beamforming. But it's actually good because I think it's easier to avoid it. Um, you could turn the receiver off. And if you're not in a major city, then, you know, it is definitely easily avoidable. And again, this is being used in 5G throughout, but the millimeter waves have really not been rolled out, even in cities. They've kind of been like tested, but there's three frequency bands. There's low band, mid band, and high band. The high band is the millimeter waves. The mid band is kind of like three to four gigahertz. So it's a bit higher than things we used in the past. That's what's mostly being used right now. And they're still seeing like improvements with speed and everything like that. So it's, um, it's an interesting situation because it's definitely a problem from the power intensity perspective and the fact that it's very direct, but at the same time, it's also a bit more easily avoidable. And the millimeter waves especially are blocked not only by or dissipated in the atmospheric gases, but also blocked by physical things like trees and and yeah. buildings uh, to some degree, not completely. So that's kind of a quick overview. But uh, you know, that's a, it's a lot of technical information. I just wrote a thread. I wrote a Substack article on that. But it's really important because it's like this is all completely different from 4G um, in the past. Yeah, and I mean, for me, it's the biggest thing for me is because the distance traveled is, is so much shorter. Um, they need, like you said, more towers. So the prevalence is like much more compact. So I've noticed it living in like Salt Lake. Um, but just traveling to other places as well, like any city, there's just, they're, they're all over the place. I actually count them on my drive sometimes just to like see. And as I've been looking for houses for myself, it's sort of like, okay, where can I find a place that's like not directly next to a thing? It's almost impossible um, when you live in such a high density uh, density community. And so that's that's to me like really the, for lack of a better word, danger is the proximity. And that's actually what Jack brought up in the podcast was there's no biohack for this stuff. It's get the fuck away from it was basically what he said. Um, and that's the truth. Like no harmonizer is going to freaking protect your nutsack with this silver underwear the, to protect your fertility from this stuff. But like you said, there's a lot of things you can do proactively in your own home, but you got to, you know, be mindful of the environment and, you know, not pretend like it's all hunky dory. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, to me, it's definitely completely changed the fact that cities are, I mean, they already were pretty detrimental to our health, but now they high population areas are significantly worse because of the 5G rollout. And you see that with, yeah, like you said, how many towers are in, you know, a two square mile area now in populated cities. It's, they're everywhere and they have to be because of the nature of the 5G network. And that's only gonna continue to be built out in terms of infrastructure, in terms of repeaters. They're gonna have them on like major office buildings and areas like that, entertainment yep. venues, downtown areas, anything that's like smart city vibes, 
it's all going to be 5G. And that's when they will start rolling out millimeter waves. So that's the scary part is they haven't even really started using millimeter waves. And you already see, I mean, there's already a massive effect probably. And you see that or you could debate that with, you know, a lot of rise in chronic disease, rise in, you know, died suddenly is what effect that has. So we can get into that. But to me, it's it's definitely easier to avoid it if you move to the suburbs. If you just turn 5G off on your phone, you are kind of getting rid of that receiver. So it's not able to follow you around. You're still getting blasted with 4G, you know, omnidirectionally, which is what it is unless you turn your phone on airplane mode. But I think that's really important for people to understand is that 5G is like, it's a very targeted waveform and it's a very engineered waveform. Uh, it's a very high power because it's a very uh, low angle of incidence. Um, but my concern is, yeah, if say you turn everything off, you're doing yourself a service by turning off you as the receiver, but you live in a very populated area everyone around you yeah, is affecting you. So, you know, if your friend, if yeah. your neighbor, if you're everyone in a downtown area has 5G on, but you don't, it doesn't really matter. Because even, well, and I, yeah, I was just going to say, I was just gonna that, say angle, I, that angle is probably going through you at some point if there's that many transmission signals in the highly densely mm -hmm. populated area. Yeah. And I think about uh, in certain, I see um, because housing is such an issue um, just from a price market point of view, um, you see all these sort of like townhouse situations being built and like apartment complexes going up everywhere because they're more quote affordable. Um, but I think about like how even more tightly knit you're going to have with uh, exposure just from your surrounding environment, from other people being in such close proximity, definitely not doing the things that you are probably doing if you're listening to this, this live stream right now. So it's, it's sort of like in cities, it gets harder and harder and harder as time goes on to optimize just because of the way the nature of this thing works. I kind of wanted to ask you though, unless you have something else to say about that, um, about like the oxygen and water stuff, just cause, um, we did mention it, uh, a bit in there. I know we brought up hypoxia, uh, de uh decently often during the podcast, but maybe you can kind of talk about the mechanism of that because I, I know I've personally felt it. Like you can feel sort of the hypoxic environment that you're in having gone outside of it into a more natural environment or camping for a week or backpacking, you feel the difference. It's incredible. You notice it a lot in sleep as well, which was brought up on the podcast on several occasions about how um, these affect your ability to recover because you're not getting as quality sleep. Yeah. So the oxygen absorption and also um, the water absorption, which I just recently learned more about. So again, reiterating why 5G signals, why higher frequency waves are, uh, have such terrible range, uh, a big reason is because it gets dissipated tremendously in the atmosphere or in air uh, by oxygen gas and water vapor. And you can look this up right now and you can look up millimeter waves absorbed by oxygen gas and an insane graph will come up and it'll show a crazy peak at like 60 gigahertz and then it'll kind of die down and then there'll be another crazy peak at like 100, 120 gigahertz. And it's really crazy, but what I also found is that there's a similar plot and you can kind of um, um, superimpose them on top of each other so that water vapor is also doing the same thing at slightly different frequencies. So at like 24 gigahertz, which is a common millimeter wave uh, frequency that they're going to roll out, 
water vapor absorbs a ton of this uh, electromagnetic radiation. And that's a concern, right? Because what is happening in our body? Oxygen, we're breathing in air, we have oxygen as the final electron acceptor in a mitochondria electron transport chain. It's imperative. It's, you know, so important for our biology. And then so is water. And although it's water vapor in the air, um, from what I have found, a, a decades old study from I think it was the Department of Defense is saying the same thing about water vapor, that water uh, in a liquid or vapor form uh, absorbs a tremendous amount of these radio frequencies um, once you get above 10 gigahertz. So to me, this is really scary. And it's kind of a problem because we just don't know the biological effects. And it's this giant research experiment on society once again that we haven't consented uh, to being a part of. And we have to just make assumptions, right? Like they haven't tested these biological mechanisms of action on the level of oxygen and water, but we know that radio frequencies affect water in our biology. We know how important water is in our biology. And it's a, uh, it's a real problem. So that's kind of the biggest issue, uh, in my opinion, with, with 5G is we're just charting into this territory of unknowns completely. So it's pretty wild and something I'm diving a lot deeper into. And Ryan's internet dropped out. So I'm just waiting for him to get back on. But yeah, if you want to look up oxygen absorption of, you know, millimeter waves, you can look up water vapor absorption as well and extrapolate the fact that this might be extremely damaging to our biology, causing pseudo hypoxia, which is causing mitochondrial dysfunction, uh, which aligns very well with all of the research on radio frequencies in general uh, at much lower frequencies, then you could understand why 5G might be extremely bad for our health. And that's something Ryan and I also wanted to get into is the research, right? So I'm researching millimeter waves, uh, not 5G. Why? Because there's no studies on 5G, really. There's no peer-reviewed studies even today um, there might be like one or two, and that's not that's not by uh, coincidence. That's not an accident. That's because nobody's going to fund this, or no one wants to put their reputation on the line uh, as a scientist to um, to research this. And it's crazy that they just roll and they rolled this out. You know, like uh, three, four years ago now, uh, five years ago. And there's still very, very, very little research on 5G. All of the millimeter wave research, you have to go back years. Again, I was reading a DOD document from the 80s uh, yesterday on the water vapor absorption spectra of um, high-frequency waves in the you know 10 to 100 gigahertz range. And then they'll just say, oh, there's no studies or there's no research and there's none of this. And, you know, it's all bullshit. So... That's how science has been captured by the centralized narrative. And that's something that's extremely concerning to me, but why we need to use common sense. And it's like, if you look at all the data that already exists on 2G, 3G networks, you really think 5G will be less worse for us or equally um, safe, quote unquote? Uh, no, of course not. They're higher energy photons and they're also now higher power intensity in terms of the beam forming effects and a more 
artificially manufactured waveform. So yeah, Brian, Brian, you're back on the Twitter space. Yeah, I'm using, I'm, I'm literally using uh, LTE or whatever because the, okay. the, the Wi-Fi is like completely down. But I totally agree with what you just said. Um, and we have like even like the most, I think the NTP studies like reflect that with one, two, three G. Um, and so it's, it's not like, none of this really is a question. That's why I, I get frustrated when people talk about like, oh, it's, it's ionized radiation, blah, 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 or something like that. It's like, it's totally fine, blah, blah, blah. You can stick your head in the microwave and, you know, you'll be well, good. Well, that's a, yeah, that's a good point. And I don't know if you're able to hop, hop back on Riverside, but we'll, we'll see there. So Ryan, for those who didn't hear, asked about ionizing versus non-ionizing radiation. And that's, you know, I, I commented on Elon Musk's post today about Starlink providing internet to every place in the world, like just a low... Uh, a low network coverage to the entire world. And everyone was like, oh my God, that's so great. That's fucking terrible. I don't want to go into the woods and the mountains and nature and have cell signal all the time. That's the whole point is to escape this bath of radio frequencies. And everyone, you know, commented, well, the power power intensity is so low. And well, actually the smarter people commented that the really, you know, average NPC would just comment that, you know, non-ionizing radiation has no harmful effects on biology. Yeah. And it's, um, it's crazy because you can literally go look up Dr. Henry Lai has 2,500 studies. Um, you know, more than half of them are on radio frequencies and they show 70 to actually, sorry, 75 to 90% of them show harmful biological effects and it's because they have non-thermal effects. Dr. Martin Powell mm-hmm. is another fantastic researcher who hopefully uh, we can interview one of those two guys soon. But there's clear effects uh, in terms of radio frequencies and our health. And you mentioned the NTP study. That's a good example. Um, because to me, this is almost like undebatable. Then what happened was the National Toxicology Program spent 10 years... $30 million studying 2G and 3G cell phone radiation effects um, on rodents, which again, the issue with a lot of these studies and EMFs is they're extremely challenging to do in humans and they have a lot of uh, industry funded FUD in the yeah. research realm as well. But the NTB study, 10 years, uh, $30 million spent to study the effects of 2G and 3G cell phone radiation from 700 megahertz to 2,700 megahertz on rats and mice. And what they found was clear association of, you know, malignant tumors in the rats, uh, the hearts of rats, and also some other associations as well. And then they showed clear evidence of DNA damage in the brain and blood cells of the rodents. So that was kind of... um, just an eye-opening moment for a lot of people, but it, again, got swept under the rug because the power density levels was like slightly higher than what the safety limits are for power density on radio frequencies in terms of cell phone use. And that's, you know, just been, oh, it's disproved because of that, you know, instead of it being a uh, 1.5, uh, what is it? I don't know if it's microwatts per centimeter squared or what the units was exactly, but uh, then a, an institute in Italy basically replicated the study at lower power densities and, and found similar results. So it's it's really at this point to me is, is undebatable 
that these things are harmful. I mean, there's hundreds, thousands of studies, and then you know they're just going to tell you that 5G is safe because it's non-ionizing radiation and there's no research on it. But it's because they're not funding. No one's funding any research, and they don't want to get canceled for doing it. So here we are extrapolating while this thing's already been rolled out for four years, four or five years, and it's kind of gone quiet. Uh, you know, COVID, it was, it was a big narrative, right? Mm-hmm. During COVID, yeah. like 5G caused COVID, which we could talk about that. Yeah, um, I love that. And then it's kind of gone quiet. I think people have just like come to terms with the fact that they're just going to live in a 5G, you know, bath of frequencies in the cities well, and pay three grand a month for an apartment. Um, this, and, I mean, there's, there's, there's a few types of people in the world, as we all know. I mean, it was, I always knew in COVID, as a lot of people began to wake up, I probably had more really interesting conversations with people I never thought I'd be talking about this stuff with in 2020, that once stuff kind of blew over, I knew that I'd probably lose over half of those people maybe. Um, and so it's, it's about reaching the ears that are, are willing to question, willing to listen, um, and willing to just like question the narrative. I mean, one of the things that was brought up on the podcast with Jack and I see Jack's listening in the chat, so I'm sure he can, you know, scrape me on the ground with the things I get wrong in a minute. But, um, but, uh, he brought up like a lot of the research is decades old. Um, because that's when we were looking into these things. I mean, with Robert O. Becker way back in the 60s, 70s. Um, and then these people get shut down. Like you mentioned, they can't get funded. We got, uh, Pollock who can't get funded. And he had that, um, interesting stuff with, uh, Wi-Fi and the exclusion zone water, just completely shutting it down. Um, and so to me, it's like when you have captured research, um, there's very little that can be achieved on a high level like that. And so it is sort of up to a little bit of intuition to look into things for yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that's like decentralization 101 right there. It's, you know, science has been captured completely. And if you're going to keep trusting, you know, centralized authority on what's good and what's bad for your health, I mean, you're just not going to make it right. It's, it's really bad. And yeah, I think, you know, just based on this, based on everything I've, you know, learned and kind of gathered about 5G is I, I really wouldn't want to be living in a city in the, I wouldn't want to be living in a city right now. And that's why I'm not. That's why I live <laughs> in central Wyoming in the middle of nowhere. It but keeps me up at night. <laughs> I think it's going to get even worse as they roll out millimeter waves and, uh, just more infrastructure for smart cities for 5g. Um, you know, you can get into the autonomous vehicles space as well. Once that gets rolled, it's just going to continue to proliferate. And I really think if you prioritize your health, you want to raise a family, you want to take control of your life, then even a move to the suburbs is a tremendous difference from being downtown. And, you know, just from, again, the money perspective, why the hell would you want to pay three grand a month anyway to live in an apartment downtown? You're just wasting your money. So it's the fiat mindset. It's kind of just the repercussions of of everything in that realm. And you know, that's, it's an unrealistic, you know, thing for people to, to say is to just move somewhere remote, you know, do whatever you want. Yeah. But you could at least move to the suburbs. You could at least move out of the really sure. high traffic areas. Yeah. I mean, it's really easy to sort of like doomsday everything and, um, just give up or like decide that nothing's worth it and just kind of 
give in to whatever it is, but there's like a lot of practical stuff you can do. And it's, it's all about preparing for the future and just like spreading educational stuff for people that make better decisions for themselves. Cause when you know better, you do better, but I'd love to sort of get into some of the COVID stuff. We just says, we just actually had a really, really good podcast about all that stuff. That'll be uh, almost a Twitter Spotify exclusive just because of all the stuff we talked about. Um, but well, I don't even know what the whole COVID, like, I honestly wasn't in the loop during all that time. So like, what was the whole like thing with like, uh, COVID and, and 5g and 5g activating COVID shots and stuff. I, I actually, I'm not familiar with it. Yeah. Well, I think there's a few narratives going around for sure. I think the first one is that like straight up that 5g like caused COVID, um, which isn't really that crazy to say, because if you've read The Invisible Rainbow and some of these books, you, you realize actually that pandemics, epidemics have kind of been very aligned with new technology rollouts, uh, especially like completely different, uh, innovative technology, whatever you want to call it. And that's a lot of people were saying that, you know, 5G, they turned up the frequency and we got COVID. But uh, you know, the data points definitely more to a lab leak and definitely that sort of uh, funded research. Um, thanks to, thanks to Fauci and friends, but it also didn't really make sense to me because again, the millimeter waves haven't even really been rolled out. They just like tested them and the mid band frequency is what they're actually using, which is kind of like three and a half gigahertz, which isn't too much different from let's say Wi-Fi, for example, and in terms of frequency, it's definitely a completely different waveform and power intensity and that sort of thing. So I don't think that 5G caused COVID, but then we can get into the vaccines, the mandates, uh, the, you know, there were some conspiracy theories around like activation and there's some paper yeah. going around there, uh, research that actually does say there is research out there that exists that show you can activate a drug delivery payload via a radio frequency signal. And they're using graphene oxide, which is a semiconductor to carry those drugs into your body. And really the vaccines are drugs. Uh, that was something that was very clear with our interview with uh, Dr. William Mackis, who's uh, our oncologist, radiologist, expert on the truth behind COVID saying it's not, yeah, they changed the whole definition of vaccines and it's really a drug yeah. gene therapy you could even debate so is this possible that you know they could uh, activate drug delivery vaccine delivery mrna technology with a uh, radio frequency signal definitely like that is 100 possible is that what happened i don't i don't really think that's what happened but i would be skeptical that you know that could definitely happen in the future i mean there's everything you know bill gates has you know, mos uh, GMO mosquitoes that could vaccinate yeah. you in the future. There's so many different yeah. things that could definitely be plausible. But to me, the real issue is that we just have this onslaught now of mitochondrial toxins. So people got the jab and, you know, obviously that's extremely damaging. There's research even from Doug Wallace on, you know, spike protein being extremely damaging to the mitochondria. And there's some fringe research saying it's even worse from the vaccine. Obviously, no one's going to fund uh, that type of research. So you have to remember that there's a context here. But you can make the conclusions. And based on what uh, William Mack has said in our podcast and the lipid nanoparticles, the DNA fragments, SV40, the mRNA, it's kind of just like it's a multifaceted toxin. So you take that and it's this extremely high dose toxin in a very short period of time. And that probably pushed a lot of people over a threshold, especially if you already had mm -hmm. underlying conditions. 
And then we're living again in this world of ever increasing EMF exposure, artificial blue light exposure. So this is just driving up mitochondrial dysfunction even higher. So is it? Well, what do they tell you to do? They tell you to stay inside for a whole year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so you get even worse. Yeah, and that was even before everyone got jabbed and boosted five times. So it's really, and it's it just shows, right? And as Mac has said, you know, it's compromising the immune system, and people don't understand that mitochondria is like the hub of immune system signaling. So if you don't have properly functioning mitochondria, your immune system is going to be completely compromised and you're not going to be able to deal with that. And that's why we see the more times you got jabbed, the worse off you are in fighting COVID. Like crazy how that works. But And then you see as well, what are all the common issues, right? It's fertility, it's um, heart issues, you know, literally people dying or having heart attacks. Um, and then it's neuropsychiatric effects. And those are the three, you know, most energy intensive, most mitochondrial rich areas of our biology. And no wonder. And you see, I saw the craziest statistic uh, today um, that I also mentioned on a podcast I did earlier. South Korea has like, I think for every 100 South Koreans, only four of them are having children or going to have grandchildren. Wow. It's fucking crazy. Like, the, there's a ma- and Elon Musk is tweeting about depopulation, um, but at the same time, you know, he wants to blast the whole world with EMFs. So he doesn't understand yeah. that fertility is directly linked to EMF exposure and toxin exposure and mitochondrial dysfunction because he doesn't understand biology. But to me, it's alarming and it's really sad. Um, but at the same time, if you are very deliberate about your health, uh, you could be, you know fine. You just have to understand that this is the environment that we live in. The toxin exposure is higher than ever. So you do have to go out of your way to really reinvigorate your health, regain your health. And if you do want to have a family that's healthy as well, um, it's going to be really important. I really only think like five to 10% of people in like 20 years are going to be the ones repopulating. It's, It's going to be crazy how this plays out. Well, yeah. And like you said, it's, that's the thing too, is there's so much focus even in, uh, our community on this like myopic view of like trying to find the one thing that's causing all these problems when it's like, don't get me wrong. I think these things are like probably one of some of the most paramount, like indefinitely, like just like, just like the tech stuff and, uh, just being on, on screens all day long, especially giving them to kids and like having, kids now in an educational system where like half the time, like in some schools, like half their time is taught on screens. It's like insane. Um, but it's, it's so multifaceted, um, that it becomes overwhelming, I think. And so as we keep going, the, the things you would need to do to maybe avoid the issues that people are experiencing now or get better from them becomes if infinitely more, um, you need more, like you need more of it. Um, if you, especially if you're living in a really bad environment, in that case, you're basically screwed anyways. So it's, it's just something that's, man, it just sucks. But, and it's funny, you actually brought that up about South Korea because, um, I had a friend that visited China, um, about a few years ago, I think it must've been 2019. But one of the things he mentioned to me was just like how pretty much everyone he saw was always looking down at their phone constantly. He went to like a nightclub and everyone was just sitting on their phone the entire time. So it's interesting, like you said, to see over the next like five, 10, 20 years, um, how things are going to change. And we can sort of see the dots connecting already, but it's only going to get 
more exacerbated. Yeah, and, and we see that, right? Well, it's funny because a lot of those areas over there in Asia like are these like hot spots for longevity. But that's like the most backward-looking way to evaluate the health of a society ever. And we've already seen like Okinawa, Japan drop off a cliff. I mean, Singapore, Hong Kong are also like quote-unquote longevity hotspots. Uh, you look how built up. I mean, are. actually, actually, what I was what I was gonna say is like uh, when you look at like the graphs of of uh, lifespan longevity and stuff like that, it, it had been for a long time. You'd see populations go stay living longer in cities, and now we're uh, we will see that decline. I would yeah. Imagine. Well, now that child, um, you know, uh, childbirth and infant mortality is kind of completely out of the picture in terms of you know the past few decades. Um, and the chronic exposure to toxins uh, and disconnection from nature and you know, uh, innate biological inputs, it, yeah, it's only going to drop. And you know, you're seeing that, right, with the fertility issues. So that's kind of like the first sign, I think. And it's really – it's scary. And you know, that's why we do what we do because you really need to take a decentralized lens for this or, uh, or else nobody's going to be looking out for you and – you're just so that sort of begs yeah that begs the question like how should we be using technology to avoid like some of these effects and like there's uh we're gonna be interviewing um the guy tomorrow about the blue light computer which or the daylight the not blue light computer yeah yeah that stuff will be amazing yeah yeah um so i'm excited about that how we should be using technology again i mentioned a few things right like right now i got my internet like hardwired i'm using wired headphones you know distance and i have no internet right now so that's great <laughs> well, you're using LTE, which I think is probably worse than Wi-Fi, to be honest. But um, I guess it's now 5G. So yeah, 5G, you can <laughs> just turn it off, like turn your receiver off. Don't turn that on. Like get out of the city. Don't hang out in highly densely populated areas all the time. Avoid, just avoid that as much as you can. Yeah, use uh, turn off your Wi-Fi at night. We talked about the importance of sleep, or you mentioned that in the beginning, right? If you can't restore and repair from the toxins of daily exposure you are fucked um, and you are fighting a losing battle every day. I mean, just think of it as a battle. Every single day, you're going out there and you're getting attacked by toxins, uh, blue light, EMFs, glyphosate, plastics, whatever. And you could rank those on how bad they are for your health. It doesn't really matter. What matters is how you repair at nighttime uh, via you know, melatonin regulating autophagy and apoptosis in your body. Uh, and if you do that, um, you're going to be able to last a lot longer and, you know, fight off aging. But if you have the Wi-Fi on at night, if you have your phone next to your head, if you have light disruption, sound disruption, and you're not sleeping well, you're, you're not going to repair. So the sleep is so tremendously important. And that's why everyone should prioritize creating a sleep sanctuary. Because I can't tell you what to do during the day if you actually have a job that you have to go to to support your family. Yes, you know, you could become an entrepreneur and work from home and all that, but it's not really realistic to tell people to do that right now. But what you can do right now is create a sleep sanctuary, get your bedrooms tested, um, buy an EMF meter, buy a body voltage kit, um, turn off the power if you can, turn off the Wi-Fi and your cell phones for sure, and, you know, turn off all the lights at, at night, block blue light at night. That's going to be really important. So I think that's the most important thing. And to be honest, and in terms of how you use technology, you know, like I said, if you can hardwire your internet, that's fantastic. Um, that's what I've done recently. Um, if you can use wired headphones, if you can just have distance, never hold this stuff up next to your brain, next to your heart, never carry it in your pocket. If you're a man or a woman, you're carrying it in your, you know, your front pocket or your breast. It's just like so silly and such a problem. 
And, you know, the distance is extremely important. So inverse square law is our best friend. And, um, yeah, uh, I think just understanding those kind of small things, unplugging your appliances when you're not using them, just becoming cognizant of your EMF environment doesn't mean you need to be a neurotic and stress out like every time you go in like a grocery store or wherever you go during the day, but just understand that there are small things you can do to probably reduce your exposure by like 70 to 90%. And that's, um, that's a big deal, right? So if you do that and couple that with obviously prioritizing mitochondrial, circadian, quantum health, all these things, going outside, getting connected to nature, you're going to be doing the best you can in your situation. So I think that's uh, really important. And that's um, kind of what you have to do in a modern toxic world to stay afloat. Totally agree. Could have said it better. I mean, like the sleep thing's huge. You can gauge so much about a person by asking them how well they sleep. Like I could probably tell you almost everything wrong with them just by asking them that question. And if they can't sleep, then I know that this stuff is immediately an issue. Yeah. And it starts the second you wake up in the morning. What are you doing? Go outside, get some sunlight in your eyes, watch the sunrise, and just understand the signals. They're all input signals to our biology. Light, food, temperature are probably the biggest ones. And if you want to optimize the outputs, you have to fix the inputs. And it's that simple. Yep. And I say it on every podcast that I go on. It's nice to have that you know, system-level perspective as an engineer. But really, it, that's what it's all about. And we've distorted our inputs. We've distorted our connection to source of energy, you know, the earth, the sun, food that's real. And now we're paying the, the price from a societal perspective in terms of health. And yeah, the big pharma healthcare model doesn't really care about that. So they're just going to keep you sick. And that's where we are. So it's a fun time, but there are things you can do. So EMFs, uh, just going to keep sounding the horn on this. And I'm really excited. Hopefully, I've reached out to some of these uh, researchers. We can get them on the show and kind of just go through it even more. But that's what we need to keep prioritizing. 100%. Um, should we open for like some questions and stuff like that? Yeah, let's do it um, on the Twitter space. Um, if you guys want to ask a question or we could go through the questions that someone already asked. Um, yeah, let's do that let's first do and that then maybe first open, and it open it up. Um, Let's see. Let's see if I can find best light bulbs you'd recommend, incandescent and reds, anything else you might suggest, especially for travel purposes. Yeah, um, your lighting environment is huge. Um, the only really light bulbs I turn on in my house are, are red light bulbs at nighttime. So I would say, first, trying to prioritize opening windows and things like that um, can be a challenge in the winter, but I even crack my windows here when it's like 30 degrees out. Um, worth it to me. Incandescents are great. Yeah. People always ask me where you can buy them. The ones on Amazon, Walmart actually look sketchy. I don't even know if they're real incandescents. I would say go on Facebook marketplace or just, you know, find someone who's had incandescents for a while. If you want to use that. Um, there's some few lighting companies out there that are making like full spectrum bulbs some of them like transition throughout the day. Some of them are kind of just like daylight use. Um, obviously, after the sun goes down, you want as 
uh, low of brightness and kind of just little light as you possibly can. So getting something very dark red, very dim, uh, you don't want to use a 300 watt red light therapy device after the sun goes down. Um, FYI, but yeah, there's a cool, so Scott Zimmerman has a, a company. I forget what it's called. You could just Google Scott Zimmerman. He's the one doing a lot of this great research with Russell Ryder on near infrared light, um, melatonin as well. Synthesis in the mitochondria. That's all fascinating. Um, block blue light has a full spectrum light bulb, I think. And then incandescence and red light bulbs from, there's a bunch of red light bulb places you can get. Midwest therapy has cheap ones. Um, travel purposes. Yeah. You can bring that stuff with you. Screwing light bulbs are pretty, uh, travel friendly. That's what I do. Yeah. yeah or I buy a headlamp light. too, like a red, you know, those like backpacking, uh, red LED oh, yeah. headlamps. I have a couple of those. Yeah. Um, those are good for at nighttime and pretty dim. Other non-obvious best practices for minimizing harmful EMF effects. Um, non-obvious. Uh, Ryan, you have any non-obvious EMF tips that I haven't mentioned? I'm I'm kind of an obvious guy. I go for the obvious stuff, so it have to it have to hit me out of left field, but not really. I mean, a lot of it, a lot of it's kind of. I mean, I think like you said, the biggest thing, which might not be obvious unless you kind of dig into stuff, would be like in your sleep sanctuary, your room, um, thinking about the outlets around where you sleep, and so that's why having something like from EMF Safe to like turn the breakers off into your room would be super beneficial because you're still getting that stuff from the outlets around your room. And I think another not obvious one would be like unplugging things like say in your kitchen or just in general. Um, because when you plug, like plug in or like, I don't know this, this one seems obvious to me, but maybe it'd be non obvious to like someone that doesn't know anything about it. It's just like having my laptop plugged into the wall with a two prong non grounded thing, like that's just like exacerbating it as well. So those are kind of my top of mind quote, non obvious. No, they seem pretty obvious to me. That, but. No, those are spot on. That's actually really good. That's actually this other guy's question. Um, in the, in the feed, he asked that, um, oh, about the two prong. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, people don't understand that if the, if your plug is not grounded, you're radiating an electric field, like six to eight feet outwards. So if you yeah, like all Macs, all apples, all products, they're all ungrounded plugs. That's a good thing. I guess about PC is like the HP I have, it's grounded, test your outlets, make sure they're grounded. And then, yeah, just unplug that stuff, especially in your bedroom. I, you know, I don't want to buy uh, an EMF safe breaker switch. So I just have the, the power going to my bedrooms. Luckily, it's on a specific circuit. It's just off. Like there's no power in my bedroom. That's it's smart. Off yeah, that's all the smart. Time. There's still I some guess residual, actually, even measuring my body voltage in my bedroom with everything off. There's still, I'm still reading like 200, 300 millivolts because there's other circuits on in the house. So what was it before? Like 1.5 volts, like, you know, like 20, 50 X that it's yeah. insane. So, and that's yeah. where you can get into the whole grounding thing, right? Like, do you really want to be grounding two volts through your body? Um, probably not. Yeah. So, um, that's, uh, yeah. we, we don't have to talk about that, but it's, um, it's no, a actually, debate. I thought of another one, um, that, that you, well, I mean, you tweeted about it the other day, but it was like, uh, installing like one of those timers on your outlets. So like for your Wi-Fi, just, oh, if yeah. you can't quote, turn it off because of somebody else set it on a timer and you'll get it. It'll at least be off for a couple hours in the middle of the night. You know what I mean? Yeah. Any people always ask me, um, Tristan, I live in an apartment or I have roommates. Like what should I do? Well, first off, any reduction in exposure is a benefit, right? Like any reduction, even if it's 5%, 
might as well take it. So if you have roommates, um, and this is something I wish I did because I had roommates that would stay up till midnight or 1am or get home late, um, buy an outlet timer. They cost $10 at the hardware store. My dad was using them, you know, 20 years ago for our vacations when we would leave the country and they're perfect. You can just set them, they're manual timers and you can set them to only have the outlet off from like midnight to 5am. So at least you have five hours of reduction of exposure. And obviously from there you can try and just, you know, get new roommates or, you know, live by yourself. But it's again, not realistic <laughs> for everybody. So that's why the Wi-Fi yeah. out, or the outlet timers. And they also have these remote control outlet uh, buttons you can buy. Um, that tech wellness site is pretty good. That's where I bought a lot of my adapters. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're lazy and don't want to physically unplug the Wi-Fi or it's in kind of a weird spot like behind you know a bunch of furniture you can buy an outlet that's controlled by a a remote and you just press a button so um that's something you do but yeah if you're willing to spend the money i think the emf or if you live in a house that like you're going to live in for five to ten years check out emf safe because that circuit breaker switch is is probably the best thing that you could do um to reduce your exposure at home and then yeah i mean yeah, just keep your phone on airplane mode. Um, oh, something that's non-obvious, I would say, is cell phone radiation when you have poor signal. So when you have a weak signal, like one bar or two bar, your cell phone or you're in your car and you're in like a semi-Faraday cage, that signal is going to be boosted up 5, 10, 100. I've seen you know, some people even say a thousand to 10,000 times stronger just to get out, just to get to that cell phone tower to transmit the signal. So that's something to be aware of. If you're in really low service areas, like especially if you're driving, you know, for example, I'm driving through Wyoming, 80% of the trip is is one bar. You know, my phone's on airplane mode or off because I don't, yeah, I don't want to have, or my windows are completely down or semi down to break the Faraday cage a little more. So I would say that's, that's some non-obvious tips and yeah, cars in general could definitely be EMF bombs, especially if you bring the EMFs inside of them and trap them in there. Yeah, that's a good one because it's roaming. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So I think that's it um, for the questions on the feed. So we can open it up to anybody who wants a question um, or just come on and, and chat. I see there's a few comments in here or yeah. So there's a few comments. Incandescents are also on eBay. That's good. Have some countries banned 5G because of health concerns. Uh, I don't think anyone has banned it, but I know that the US, China, and Japan have rolled it out and are rolling it out faster than anywhere else. If you want to compare countries in terms of uh, safety limits of EMFs, uh, Eastern Europe and Russia actually have the most stringent uh, EMF limits, uh, sometimes 100 to 1,000 times lower than the U.S. Uh, the Soviets were actually the ones who pioneered a lot of the EMF research. So if you you know go back and read like Becker's book or, or Marino's book, they talk about this uh, at length. So... Um, and that's actually, that's actually a really good point. Cause we had talked about that in a previous live. I think we were just talking about 5g, but yeah. like the limits on what they allow, like for RF is like drastically different from country to country. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really bad. And, and, you know, there's, again, you go look at Dr. Henry Lai's research studies. He'll show you hundreds of studies at like five to 10% of the safety limits showing harmful biological mm-hmm. effects. So in reality, 
they're su- the limits are supposed to be like one one hundredth or one one thousandth of the exposure um, or the you know the lowest exposure threshold. So they really should be like one hundred thousand times lower than they are. That's uh, yeah. Um, canopies. Uh, I don't know if that's like the Faraday cage canopy bed. I would not want to sleep in a Faraday cage. I don't recommend Yeah, that, that was, that was something we sort of discussed because I had listened to a few oh, yeah, someone asked about, about creating well. a Faraday cage. Yeah. You know, if you paint your bedroom or you just create a Faraday cage, especially if you paint the walls, you're just creating a cage for everything to be trapped in there. And then, yeah, you're, you're blocking everything else. So, um, yeah, I don't think it's a good idea. If you live right near a tower and you kind of calculated with an EMF consultant, the angle of incidence and wanted to paint like a one sliver of your wall, that maybe could be a good idea. But yeah, I, I, I wouldn't buy Faraday paint or, you know, be bullish on Faraday paint. Faraday cages in general are very controversial. You know, the, the, the Faraday clothing as well. I don't know how that works. It's not even a complete Faraday cage. Any any sort of case, right? It's all again. Once you break the Faraday cage, it's just going to be reflective and perhaps even multiplying the EMF back into a yeah, different that's, place. Yeah, that's what I've always that's what I've always wondered with like the EMF clothing and stuff because it's not closed. Like your head's sticking out of it, your arms are sticking out of it. It's like is it just shuffling it up and down? Yeah, perhaps. Um, and actually making it but worse. if you're infertile and, you know, you're going on an airplane and you wear, like, silver-lined underwear, that might be better to push it to, like, your calf yeah. than your balls. Um, I don't know. That's yeah. We just don't know. <laughs> and, and these companies will, like, sell you this material at a very expensive price. And it's kind of just highly controversial. So, yeah, uh, I think that's yeah. all the questions from the chat. So, yeah, if anyone wants to come up and chat or ask a question, um, I actually – yeah. See, Jack, you're still on the line. If you want to come up and chat, we're happy to discuss as well. Someone requested Mother Nature. Bitcoin Pomsi. What a name. That might be the best uh, username I've ever heard. <laughs> well, it's Jack Cruz. So. Oh, there we go. Oh, it's your I'm own. Actually on, I'm actually on one of my family members' phones because my... Uh, my phone doesn't do Twitter spaces because I have an iPhone that's too old. Oh, sorry. I would have approved your request there a lot earlier on if I had noticed you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I sent you a DM. I told you that I would probably do that, um, you know, that I'd be on here. So I'll just – if somebody has a question or you guys want to talk about something, we can go that route. I've been listening in and kind of heard some of the stuff you said. I've answered some of the questions of the people in chat, you know, about, you know, countries that have banned 5G. Uh, they've, they've knocked out uh, the ZTE parts of China. They've blamed a lot of it on on uh, security issues, but believe it or not, some of that's tied to, to health issues as well. Um, you guys talked about the 60 gigahertz band. Just want to make sure everybody knows because I didn't do a great job of explaining that in your podcast um, because we covered it so fast and went through it. Yeah. Many people don't know that microwave ovens work best at 2.5 gigahertz. And the reason for that, um, there's two, there's three specific frequencies we should talk about 900 megahertz, the 2.4 gigahertz bands, and then the 60 gigahertz bands that you guys were talking about. The reason why 
they're problematic is different. The 900 and 2.4 bands, which is where Wi-Fi works, is because of water absorption. Um, so what does that mean? It means that those frequency bands are useless to carriers because the signals are attenuated. Now, the 60 gigahertz band is useless to uh, carriers because oxygen absorbs it. So you have to realize that like Verizon, AT&T, et cetera, paid a lot of money at auctions for these, but they don't use it. And if you look at the 600 gigahertz band, it's actually license free for Wi-Fi. Why? Because oxygen attenuates it. Now, what the key is that none of these guys covered and what I tried to tell you guys in the podcast is that people don't realize what happens in the troposphere with oxygen when you've got EMF in the atmosphere. It's the ozone reaction. And when the ozone reaction is fucked with, uh, it changes the frequency spectrum of terrestrial sunlight. That's the key. And the key is when you have spectroscopes in cities uh, that have high 5G penetrance, what you'll find is the, the quantum yield or the spectrum that comes from the sun down to the earth is altered. And it's altered because uh, of the absorption frequency. So <clears throat> what's the ultimate effect? You know, at the mitochondrial levels, it causes pseudohypoxia. Pseudohypoxia means NAD positive is down. And generally when NAD positive is down, it means hydrogen's not recycling through the mitochondria. Uh, that's the ultimate effect. Now, of course, there's tons of other things, but if you think about it, anything that makes you hypoxic generally is not a good thing. And what a lot of people really don't know, the reason why it's really a problem is hypoxia links to HIF1, which links to BMOL, which is one of their positive uh, circadian regulators. So when you guys were mentioning before, when you have problems sleeping, this is, not, this is ultimately the pathway that is initially affected. And then when you get hypoxia, hypoxia then breaks down melanin sheets inside your body. And melanin, when melanin begins to get broken down, then you have pathway destruction. So, for example, I wrote a, a blog uh, called Quantum Engineering 47, and I told people there that anybody who has a sleep disturbance has a problem with their dorsal longitudinal fasciculus. And I laid out the whole pathway where the melanin would come from an embryologic uh, basis. So people would understand how this stuff works. And it's not that this pathway is just affected by the interaction with, you know, EMF in your, you know, say Chicago, LA or, or New York. Um, it can happen from a variety of different ways. And most people don't realize when you have poor sleep, whether it's insomnia, whether it's a sleep, uh, you know, wave disorder, whether it's like, you know, I don't know, restless leg syndrome, whatever you want to call it. It doesn't matter what the disease is. The defect is in melanin at that level. In other words, you can't create those four electrons and you're only working on two. So it means that electrical circuit in the brain isn't as good as it used to be. Um, and that's kind of how you go from the macroscopic 60 or 80,000 foot view down to the cell level and understand how it changes charge density of things in us. And unfortunately, like I said, we didn't get into the, the details of it. Some of the researchers that you guys mentioned earlier have written papers 
on all these detailed spots. Like Henry Lay has done some great work. Martin Paul's done some great stuff. You know, the guys that we talked about in the in the podcast, like Abe Liboff that did the original studies on calcium ion frequency in 1970. These All these things link together. And you need, it's complex if you don't know the science, but I can promise you there's so much that's published that it's, it's absolutely... Uh, accurate to say that non-native EMF has a huge effect, uh, even though it's not ionized radiation. And when you think about how our governments, you know, make laws and the way the FCC law in 96 was made, it's an absolute fucking joke, you know, when you know the science. Yeah, that, I mean, those are great points. And I think that's something that was reading more into these plots, right, of the water vapor and the oxygen absorption or attenuation really is, the, I guess, the better term of these frequencies. And, yeah, that, that peak at 60 hertz. But if, if you layer them on top of each other, I think there's one at 24 gigahertz with, with water vapor. So I guess the question is really, Jack, is they're, they're not really using 60 gigahertz yet. I mean, maybe they are in like some, you know, they're using 70. No, they I don't think they ever will because if you look at the auction data, um, right now, uh, 60 gigahertz is Wi-Fi free. You don't need and Yeah, it's, un- you don't it's unlicensed, right? Like anybody right. can technically use it. Right. Anybody, anybody can use it. And the same thing is true at 120. The same thing is true. Because if you look at oxygen, it's got a spike at 24. It's got a spike at, at 60, a spike at 120, mm-hmm. another spike at like 180, and then another spike up higher between 300 and 400. Those are the bands where it's attenuated, but that story is not a story that people realize. That's a story in the atmosphere that's affecting with ozone. And what people don't realize, ozone ties directly to the amount of UV that's getting through uh, and changing the spectrum. And that's that's one of the real problems. Um, because remember, people don't understand the UV spectrum at all. Um, and this is the exogenous part of the story that uh, I didn't really spend a lot of time talking to either you, Vernon Mount, or you guys about. Um, the exogenous part is important for surface-level melanin, for topologic effects. The stuff that we make inside of us, that, that's, that's a real total different ballgame but if anybody thinks that emf doesn't affect the surfaces of your body uh you're wrong it does and that's the reason why you know you can live at la at the 33rd latitude and go out every day you know at venice beach and get tan but then you check your vitamin d level and you'll notice that it's 35 or 28 and you'll be like how the fuck is this possible um, because there's changes of terrestrial frequencies um, by our use of EMFs. And no one is walking around 5G cities with spectroscopes, but they should. In fact, in my opinion, uh, public health uh, measures should have accurate measure measurement of the effective quantum yield of every city. And those should be posted on a website so that people know you know, what places are better to live than not uh, for exogenous sunlight? Because just knowing what the terrestrial spectrum is of the sun naturally isn't good enough. You need to know what it is in your zip code to make appropriate uh, changes. And this is fundamentally the reason why we see, 
you know, different disease metrics and different zip codes, you know, in ICD-9 and ICD, ICD-10 data from hospitals. We see it not only in the United States, but we see it in other parts of the world. Uh, and people are not making these connections, you know, from the light environment to disease metrics, but yet it's really, really important. And, and you know, I, I like to mention this. You know, I like to give people the easy softball stuff when I I talk about the complex science. This is the reason why black people at high latitudes got COVID more than uh, white people at that level. This is the reason why uh, black people had a a much higher uh, kill rate in places like Boston, New York, and uh, Minnesota. This wasn't a racial statement. This is actually a quantum yield statement because they have a different Fitzpatrick score in their skin you know, than other people. And coronavirus has got their name because they wax and wane with the terrestrial frequency. So the link to COVID uh, isn't, uh, I don't want to say that it's like some of the conspiracy theories that you guys were talking about earlier, but the link is strong. Uh, And it's very well known that when you have decreased quantum yield exogenously, coronaviruses take off. So anything that alters the terrestrial spectrum is going to make just about any coronavirus, including the ones that are made, you know, in a lab, uh, and even some of the natural uh, viruses out there are going to have an issue with that. I mean, to give you one that I think most people have had experiences with is probably herpes virus and chickenpox uh, for the same reasons. That's the reason why. Some people say, well, yeah, I go out in the sun and they blame the sun, but they don't realize the sun that they're out in is altered spectrum sunlight. And that's actually the real reason that the the virus gets activated in the dermatome that it's infected in the central nervous system. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. So is this like a hyper local effect in terms of the 5G, like altering the sunlight spectrum over cities or what's, I guess, the radius really we think of of this effect because yeah i mean that's even another reason why you should get the hell out of the city <laughs> i would say well it's 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 more complex than that i mean we we like to make to, to try to make this simple like for clinicians and patients you know everybody knows that vitamin d is 312 to 320 nanometer light which is firmly uvb but people forget that uh, nitric oxide is made from uva light mm-hmm. And both of those chemicals act as proxies. So, like, for example, if you live, and I'm, I'm just picking on L.A. right now just because I don't want any of my people to live in L.A., but I want people in L.A. to know why certain diseases are showing up there much more frequently. For example, uh, L.A., Southern California has huge problems with long COVID. Um, the reason for that is these people cannot make the appropriate amount of vitamin D or nitric oxide. So even when they're in the sun, they're not developing appropriate, uh, appropriate melanin. And this is causing uh, mitochondrial, how shall we say, reduced redox. Um, it shouldn't be like that because if you go to the 33rd latitude, say in other parts of the world, like for example, the, the med, any place on the med in Europe, southern med is right around the same frequency. They don't have the same disease metrics. But remember that the population density in those cities and the quantum yield in those cities are also radically different than what's happening in California. And those are the things that people need to pay attention to. So, like, I try to 
always make these arguments in podcasts, but to be honest with you, I don't know if people stack the lessons. Um, New Orleans is at the 28th latitude, but so is the Pyramid of Giza. Look at the, the Pyramid of Giza. It's sitting in the middle of a fucking Sahara desert. And New Orleans basically in a tropical rainforest. Um, you need to realize that just understanding latitude is not equivalent to understanding terrestrial sunlight at that specific location. That's really, really important. And I, I don't think people really get that level of sophistication. Um, and you need to because when you live in a city, like, for example, so you live in a city, I'm just going to give you a, for example, right off the top of my head, say somewhere in Virginia that's surrounded by trees. The trees are going to change the terrestrial spectrum of what you would experience, say, compared to Las Vegas, even if the latitude was exactly the same. People don't realize that. They, and they don't realize that the, the effect can be good, bad, or indifferent. But when you add EMF to the mix, and because the EMF that can be made in a wooded area is radically different than the EMF that can be made, say, west of the Mississippi, because there is no trees. You know, there's not a lot of water. There's a lot of, you know, desert terrain. It's a totally different, you know, ball game. And then you have to realize then the effect of altitude is present. So when you go to, say, I don't know, Idaho, Montana, Colorado, versus, say, some of the mid-Atlantic states like New Jersey, Connecticut, Delaware, even though their latitudes are similar, the, the terrestrial footprint is radically different. And you actually see uh, these metrics change in hospital ICU data. Uh, and the problem is nobody is making the link between hospital ICU data and zip codes. But I guarantee you, every public health official in the United States, if they measured this, they would see this effect. You know, I've actually mentioned to several of my pathologist friends that they should start doing this with COVID deaths that they thought was bullshit. And you would probably see a very interesting um, 3D map develop where it would actually be very, very interesting from a public health standpoint obviously the united states is varied this is a, a political hot potato and it's also an ideological problem but you know uh, one of the things that i'm aiming to do is actually uh this very project in el salvador why because el salvador is the size of south carolina el salvador also has a really interesting topology where you know we have mountains in different places and then we don't have mountains in others and i've actually mentioned to the people in the government down here that I think that the effect of long COVID, myocarditis, and, you know, the turbo cancers are going to be radically different here than the experience that we're going to see, say, in Detroit, um, then we're going to see in Edmonton, then we're going to see in London, then we're going to see, say, in the Middle East. It's not just about people that took four, five, six boosters. Um, it's actually tied to how much sun power that they're able to generate at their zip code and people forget when we talk non-native emf you need to also understand that emf from the sun is what we're designed to operate with so if you subtract from the original power source effectively that also becomes an emf it doesn't have to be generated from a man-made tower to cause disease
Yeah, so it's almost like this uh, equation of what's the source um, EMF that's obviously positive for us, and then you're subtracting out the, yeah, I guess the terrestrial interference and then also the non-AVMF exposure. And yeah, it makes a ton of sense, and it just goes back to kind of the, you know, locality being extremely important to your health, and that should also be something everyone considers from just a seasonality and environment perspective of embracing where they are. And, you know, for me right now, that's getting cold and getting outside as much as possible in the winter in in Wyoming. And I feel pretty damn good, but you know, I'm also at 5,000 feet when I'm in water, I'm getting UVA reflection. So I'm getting more and these are all things off the snow as well. So yeah, there's a lot of things that alter the light environment and, that would be some cool data epidemiologically to to look at kind of the solar yield and and spectrum by geography but i doubt we'll uh we'll get that anytime soon all right well maybe we can open it up to questions for people so yeah, if you have a it. question in the chat or want to come up and ask um us or jack question i will approve you one by one here so eat some seaweed the floor is yours when you unmute yourself. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Can you hear me all right? Yeah. yeah sweet. Um, I just want to thank you all for uh, doing this work, uh, Dr. Cruz and the decentralized team. Like, um, This is important stuff. Um, I just want to make a comment and then one quick question and I'll, I'll just drop off. Um, one of the things I've noticed is even though testosterone levels in men are dropping, I'm noticing like, a lot of guys are getting bald. I don't know if it's... I don't know if it's if people are balding sooner, and this might be one of the reasons why, among with you know many other reasons. Um, but I was also wondering, is there any correlation between all of this stuff and Bluetooth use, um, and maybe how Bluetooth uh, damages the body too? And if you've spoken on this already, um, you can disregard. Thank you. You guys are going to take that, or you want me to answer it? Oh, I mean, I could start it and then hand it off to you. I think for sure it has an effect, right? Blue light, artificial light, lack of red, near-infrared light. Um, definitely. I mean, there's so many studies on red and infrared light on, on hair growth, right? So if we're, if we're disconnected and, you know, the hair is not really that important from, you know, a survival perspective. So it's probably going to be the first thing to go when you have some mitochondrial dysfunction, I would say. And the 2.4 gigahertz Bluetooth would imagine also has some effect as well. But yeah, Jack, if you want to add anything to that. Well, this is an interesting question that a lot of people flub. Um, classically, high testosterone leads to hair loss. Uh, that's what it used to be, but in a world that's modern, lit with RF and microwaves, uh, baldness now is a different ball game. Actually, it's actually a circadian mechanism. That's why most guys are going bald early. It's actually not from high testosterone because most of their testosterone is low. So yeah. this is this is really an interesting conundrum because guys have low testosterone from from uh, EMF because you get pregnenolone steel syndrome. For those of you who don't know what that is, all sex steroid hormones are made from LDL cholesterol. But to make it, you have to have free T3 and you have to have also vitamin A. If you don't have those things appropriately quantized, you cannot make the appropriate amount of testosterone, DHEA, uh, estrogen, or progesterone. So that's the real reason why the low testosterone exists. But the reason why your hair falls out at the same time 
isn't because of the testosterone being low or high. It's because the non-native EMF actually activates the circadian mechanism in the hair follicle so that it ages at a much faster rate. And that's the reason why it happens. Bam. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I definitely, you know, think the testosterone point is, is pretty valid. So, well, I was just going to add too. Um, one thing I've noticed is like, obviously like premature graying and stuff like that as well. But one thing I've noticed as well is like in, in women specifically is like people going into menopause earlier and earlier. Like this happened to um, my boss's wife very recently, who's just like 40 years old is going into perimenopause already. Um, or like you, even earlier, she had her period way earlier too. See, that's the other, yeah. Mm, yeah. This you need to realize girls are now having precocious puberty, you know, at six, seven years old, that's the effect of blue light and non-native EMF. So that means they're never going to make it, you know, to what we normally would see was between 50 and 55 years old, where most, you know, humans go into menopause. Now it's happening sometimes at 35, 40 years old. So that's why I, I'm, I'm trying to explain to you guys, even the hair graying thing is yeah. actually tied to the circadian issue with melanin loss and things mm -hmm. being split up. And the thing is, things don't make sense now because the things that we've associated in the past, you know, in endocrinology books, no longer operational because you have two different axes working at the same time, sometimes for providing clinical symptoms that don't make any sense from a classical endocrinology sense until you realize functionally what's happening, that you're destroying the hormone panel while you're speeding up your circadian clock mechanism. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, we're seeing basically everything happen earlier and earlier. And it's, it's interesting to watch um, centralized uh, medicine tackle it only because they're sort of ignoring everything that's causing it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's mitochondrial DNA mutations and heteroplasmy right there. Um, all right, Tim, we uh, can let you up here and ask a question. What's up, fellas? How you doing? Good. Fantastic. Um, this question could be for you guys or for Jack. Uh, basically, I was just wondering, Tristan, I know I've heard you talk about this. Do you think it's possible that we could achieve optimal hydration solely through the production of metabolic water by eating enough fat um, and while drinking like very little of the liquid form of water? Yeah, just I mean... Yeah, I guess like, yeah, that's very important is uh, what's more important is the, the water your mitochondria produces compared to the water you're drinking in terms of uh, cellular hydration. And then also the fact that, yeah, fat does produce far more water and deuterium depleted water in the mitochondria compared to um, glucose. So yeah um if that kind of sort of answers it yeah i mean um, i know I, when we're drinking the liquid form of water i mean aren't we ultimately depleting our own metabolic water and just peeing it out when we do that no 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 you've been you've been listen there, there's a lot of misinformation in the space i'll tell you where it mostly comes from the guys in los angeles that are trying to sell people deuterium depleted water yep. and you just need to understand you know that when people have a business, you need to be very careful about the things that they tell you and the things they vet, you know. Um, and I'm going to give you an example. I'm not going to 
try to be a dick about this. Sure. Because I, I like the guy a lot. Dr. Boros, you know, came to an event that I invited him to in Vermont and basically told everybody that he drank he drank olive oil, he didn't drink water because he felt it was better for creating metabolic water. And I just sat there and I listened to it. I didn't say anything to him because I'd already have a previous talk with him and he told me you know, that he also had prostate cancer. And, uh, and I, said, I finally said, I said, how do you square these two things? And he can't. And the problem is when you have a good marketing story that doesn't match up to the science, you have a duty to tell people the fucking truth, okay? Right. And the water that you drink really isn't that important. I'm going to tell you when it is important. It's important when you have a significant mitochondrial disease. So here's the good side of Dr. Boris, the side that I really like. He has highlighted the work of Gabor Somali on cancer patients. That's when deuterium-depleted water really makes a difference. But if you have a redox between negative 200 and negative 400, spending money on fucking deuterium-depleted water is like going to buy Dave Asprey's supplements. Right, yeah. No, I've heard him talk about that. I actually talked to him in the summer. I just noticed personally, anecdotally, Jack, that like whenever I eat like a meal that has like either like a lot of ghee or coconut oil uh, and then I'm out in the sun, like I can literally feel my skin get like very hydrated. Like it gets much softer. Like I'll just notice changes quickly. And then I notice sometimes like but realize what you just said. You're yeah. out in the sun. So you just built up your solar redox. Yeah. Right. Solar redox actually creates the water. Yep. It's not it's not the water that creates it in the water doesn't have the feedback loop and the reason for that. And I want to make sure you understand this because it's a great question you bring up. Yep. When we drink water, there's two compartments. There's an intra and extracellular compartment. Yep. Drinking water only affects one of those compartments. So to have the effect that, you know, Boris has led people to believe the effect has to be equivalent in both places. And it's not. Now there's a third compartment of water that Boris has done a great job with. That's the mitochondrial cytoplasm versus the matrix. And the matrix water is incredibly important for how the TCA cycle works. Just realize those four different compartments that I told you about, mm -hmm. they're, none of them are connected one-to-one. -one. In fact, they're all stochastic and they operate in a totally different way. So I don't want you to ever think that drinking water is going to have an equivalent amount on any one of those water compartments in your body, because that's not true. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thanks, you guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, I think that's important. And yeah, we, we had Boros on the show, and I, he didn't talk about water really at all in terms of drinking it, which I was happy about. Um, he just focused on, you know, the, the grass-fed, pasture-raised meats and things like that. But the other thing as well, Jack, is that, you know, we can deplete deuterium naturally through just sun exposure, right? So yep. that's kind of something that's well, maybe that's, un under discussed in yeah, that water selling space. Tristan, I was going to tell you, that's what I try to bring up to the questioner that was just on your stage. Yeah, that That's what I want people to focus in on, because guess what? Sunlight affects all four compartments. Drinking water only affects one out of the four compartments. Okay, the reason why it's more effective in cancer patients is because when you drink the water, because of problems with your unco uh, your uncoupling proteins in the uh, mitochondria, that's when it can affect other compartments. So you have to have those leaky gates in order for the water to, ma to make a big effect. And most people don't have that problem.
Yeah. So, so you're saying if you do have issues already with mitochondrial dysfunction that you might be kind of, yeah, leaking via it's uncoupling protein too, right? That is kind of regulating, um, some of the deuterium, I guess, inflow or outflow in the, in the, in the mitochondria. You just sounded like a robot to me, dude. I couldn't hear anything. (laughs) Oh, I don't know if that was me, but I was just, um, can you hear me now? Ryan, hear me? Yeah, I hear you. Okay. I can hear you. I can hear you now. Yeah, I was just saying it's. It sounds like you know that for people who have compromised health, uh, is is just a completely different story than people who do have you know sufficient mitochondrial that's, function. That's totally true, I, and that is the message that needs to get out. Um, and I I don't think that Boris is a bad guy. I really don't. I think he's actually a good guy. But several of the people that he's gone into business with, they're businessmen. And you guys know how I feel about businessmen. You know, their needs come before the patient's needs. And when it comes to a guy like me, all I give a fuck about is telling people the truth about how health and disease work. Because remember, I took an oath. I have skin in that game. They don't. Jack, do you have a uh, specific blog with just information about those four compartments that you were talking about? Just because I'm not familiar with that. Yeah, I, I do. I'd have to go back and look at it, but it's probably in the quantum thermodynamics um, sets of blogs on Patreon. Okay. Uh, I did a pretty good job laying out uh, all those different compartments. I've actually done webinars on it. I've done webinars on cancer and actually how the UCP2 uh, uh, gate is the big uh, offender in cancer and, and why deuterium depleted water makes sense in those cases. Right. Uh, so you could look through that. The, the Patreon blogs, dude, I know they're heavy science, but they're all cited heavily with research papers. I promise you, this, this stuff is stuff that I covered years ago, probably five to seven years ago. Yeah, okay, because I just became a, page, a Patreon member probably like probably four or five months ago. So I kind of started with the later ones, and then I'm you know going back. So I'll, I'll definitely look for that. Thanks a lot for your, uh, your answers, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Tim. If anyone else wants to come up, ask a question, or I don't know if there's any update in the chat or responses. Someone talked about CPAP machines. Yeah, that's uh, definitely a concern. Um, yeah. Not too much. Yeah. Jack, something as well as you know, 6G, right? We get into this terahertz realm, and I think that's even where the oxygen – and water absorption in the atmosphere is, is even higher, right? From yep. from the papers, I, the graphs I have read from the DOD. Yep. Yeah, I wrote I wrote a blog on um, on LinkedIn that anybody can find. It's about the tetrahertz, scary shit. I mean, and now now there's places that want to go into that. You know, the the leader right now in the space is actually China for six G. Yeah, but don't don't think the United States is far behind because what the NRO is doing with satellites. Um, if you knew what was really going on in the department of defense, you'd be mortified. Um, because space force is, is not going to be, uh, kind to biologic health. Yeah. It's, I mean, just looking at some of these plots and knowing obviously the electromagnetic interference, um, of that, those frequencies is, I mean, I've almost been like happy that 5G rollout has taken a lot longer than I think they've anticipated. So hopefully 6G is yeah still like a decade away at least. But yeah, maybe something will happen kind of uh, 
from now until then to, to sway the difference. But I know the military is always 10 to 15 years ahead and they're already using millimeter waves for crowd control. I mean, there's millimeter waves in your cruise control and your in new cars as well. So I actually stopped using cruise control on my, uh, on my forerunner, but the, and, and then the next wave of smart and autonomous vehicles is just insane how much uh, content they want to have in there from an EMF perspective. So you know, it's uh, it's important to get uh, ahead of the curve on this, folks, because it's only going to be exponentially increasing, I think. All right. Ryan, cool. you got anything else to add or anyone else have any questions? Nah, man, that was good. Make sure to get sunrise tomorrow. Everyone here better do it. Better do it or you're banned forever. Yep. But thanks for, for coming on, Jack. Sorry you weren't, uh, you weren't uh, on the speaker for, uh, for the first part there. But, yeah, I appreciate your time. No problem. Anytime, guys. Yeah, have a good one. Everyone, thanks for tuning in. And, yeah, follow us more on Decentralized Radio to catch your podcast episodes. Oh, Anthony has a question. Oh, cool. We'll, uh, we'll let him up real quick. Anthony. Yeah, I got you. We can uh, squeeze you in. Uh, I was wondering just a slightly different direction with this. I was wondering beside beside, uh, scientific research and education, how else have you guys been uh, having success communicating this information with your family and friends? With my family Mm. and friends. I can tell you. I can tell you. I mean, honestly, it's really funny. I, over the last year, I feel like I've had a lot more success with the people closest to me, but it's, it's come from, um, unfortunate circumstance, which seems to be a, the theme of, of a lot of people's stories is like some shit happens, you get diagnosed with X, Y, Z, and then you start asking the crazy black sheep kid in the family who's doing all this weird son stuff, what to do about it. Cause now all of a sudden it's a serious matter. Um, and that's sort of like been my experience. Unfortunately, I haven't been, um, the people I'm close to, like with my brother and stuff, haven't had too much success at all. In fact, maybe it's gone backwards, <laughs> but, um, for, it, it seems to be, seems to be difficult to reach people that don't have some sort of issue. Um, but that just seems to be the theme. I don't know about with you, Trist. I know you bought red lights for everybody. Yeah, it's kind of hard, right? I mean, my, my sister, my family is kind of you know, they have their particular things. Like my sister, for some reason, just always unplugs appliances. And I'm like, Oh, nice. That's great. From like an EMF perspective. She's like, yeah, I don't want to burn down my house. So it's like, you take your small (laughs) wins. Um, my dad, he works for the government as electrical engineer, but it's like used to like hardwired internet. So he's like happy to use hardwired internet and also understands that like Bluetooth is probably not great to put next to your head. So there's been kind of like easy moments to like capture them. And my mom is very open to health. Uh, but outside of that, um, you know, friends, uh, kind of, I guess you would say nor- normie friends. Yeah, it's definitely, definitely a challenge, right? And it's almost like how I feel about talking to people about Bitcoin, because there's a certain point where you kind of just like give up and you just like try and lead by example, you try and, you know, send them information. But at a yeah. certain point, you kind of just have to let them find it on on their own, because, that's just how the world works. And that's the unfortunate reality. All you can do is kind of like point them and nudge them in the right direction. But if you do it too hard, 
you're uh, you're definitely you turn them off. Be, you turn them off quickly. But I would really push it if if they have children, especially. I mean, something yeah. we haven't talked about really about EMFs. Um, you know, children are so much more susceptible to the negative health effects of electromagnetic fields from a technology because of their smaller body size or higher biological water content and the developing nature of their brains and biology. So if you can guilt trip people into like maybe, you know, worrying about their children first, which they should, um, that might be an, an entry point, but, um, you could also very much offend any parent by telling them what to do. So yeah, that's so definitely it's a been, fine line to walk. Yeah. That's definitely been a slippery slope that I've been on both sides of recently with, with families of friends. I know. Yeah. Uh, Tristan and Ryan, before you guys go, sorry, it's Tim again. I just said one question that I, I just remembered to ask, uh, your episode with Dr. Arturo Solis Herrera. I listened to that. And I was just curious, like, I know he, he didn't really answer the best ways to increase melanin. I felt like he kind of was like, he said things that were like, you know, listen to a good lecture, dance. And, but, <laughs> yeah. But, but I know he like, doesn't he sell like certain drops and stuff? And I'm, I'm just not sure if he's ever specified like what's in those drops or if and, anyone's ever taken them or. Yeah, we tried, we, tr we kind of tried to ask him about it, but the answer was never super clear. Cause I, I remember Tristan asking him about, cause he actually pulls out the drops at the end of the podcast somewhere in there. Right. And, cause we were asking about dosage and stuff like that. And he just squirted the thing into like a glass. And so I was sort of like, I, I was sort of like uh, cautiously hesitant yeah. um, to look into it further. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know about you, Tristan, on, uh, thoughts on that since the you, podcast. You know, when, whenever anyone pulls out a supplement, I'm, I'm always very skeptical. He mentioned it was just kind of like precursor to melanin, which, yeah, yeah I mean, what, what are the real precursors to melanin is, is sunlight exposure and, you know, like tyrosine, which is aromatic amino acid. So we, we know that, you know, the best ways to obviously increase melanin would be to, to get sun exposure. Um, and for him as well as, as, I guess, living kind of like a low stress, happy, happy life, uh, style. So yeah, that was a, a fun podcast conversation, but definitely <laughs> yeah. a few, a few things he mentioned. I was like, all right. Okay. <laughs> I know, I know personally, I, the, the longer I've been in the game, the more and more I've realized that you, you just got to listen to like what the fundamentals are right. and lean into it. Because I've tried to out supplement so much stuff in my life that it just like, and it never works ever. Um, yep. I pretty much threw everything away. Um, because it, if you don't even have the basics down and you're really not taking advantage of the, the nature that you can around you at all, it doesn't fucking matter. Um, right. So that's sort of like where I've really found actual success was really like just being really hard and rigorous with fundamental principles. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I just because I was curious, like just, you know, nobody ever really feel like talks. Obviously, sunlight increases melanin. Right. And you would think that eating like higher copper foods because that increases yeah. melanocytes, mm. um, you know, so getting liver. But then I was curious about things like like chaga mushrooms or shilajee or black seed oil, things that are known to kind of like have melanin. If like if anyone's kept, ever came out and said that like those would be things that would increase mm. melanin in the skin, mm, high melanin content foods. Yeah, that'd be that's that's an interesting thought. I mean, it's totally plausible, but I think like you said, kind of getting the precursors, the copper, that's like a huge, you know, um, cofactor and all those like 
tyrosinase, uh, you know, enzymatic processes. And also, you know, your gut microbiome, because that's where, you know, a lot of the aromatics um, are kind of doing their work. And But they're also, again, it's very light dependent. So right. I would be yep. very cautious of using, you know, anti antibiotics, antimicrobials, and embracing your local uh, species pool, so to say. Mm -hmm. That's yep. always always really helpful. It, it always comes down to the same stuff. And yeah, I mean, that, that could be a way um, with the, the very dark compounds, but I, I well, don't know. That's what I was thinking, just because of like the, the black color of it and how obviously melanin's black. And like, I was just wondering, like even something like activated charcoal, I'm like, is there a link there, you know, with just the black and the fact that it absorbs like so many things in your body and toxins, like, I'm like, is that connected to melanin? I, I don't know. I'm just thinking outside the box. It's a, uh, it's a good thought. Yeah. Um, be hard to say, but I, th I think sticking to the principles of what we know for sure. And, you know, getting as much sunlight as possible is, is, is definitely the, the best way I would sure. say. Yep. Awesome. Thank you guys. I appreciate it. No problem. Thanks Tim. Cool. All right. Last call. Last call for anyone else. And yeah, this will be on our Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Fountain Podcast as well. So again, yeah, follow us, uh, Decentralized Radio, the Twitter account that Ryan's speaking off of, uh, posting clips, posting updates. And um, yeah, check us out. Going to definitely have a lot more episodes coming on EMFs and all things Decentralized Health. So thanks for tuning in.